morning. Man, what a blessed day it is. Resurrection Sunday, amen? That's what we're here for because Jesus did not just die, he rose from the dead and that is what makes all the difference in the world. It separates any other religious leader in so many other ways, but specifically, many people have great claims, but only one has been resurrected. Only one is alive forevermore. Only one is victorious over death and makes a way as a forerunner for us, for those who believe. He promised these things, he guaranteed such things, and he proved it by his very own death and resurrection. This morning, if y'all will, turn with me in your Bible. We're gonna be in Revelation chapter one, verse four. Some of you may be asking, is that a uh, resurrection verse? And I think it is. Um, we'll, we'll see. I'll let you be the, uh, the judge of that. But I know that it's God's word, and I know that it says just one verse before where we're starting. Those who hear this word and those who receive it and act upon it are blessed. And so therefore, all of God's word is breathed out by the spirit of God himself, and therefore is able to edify and train men and women of God that we might say yes to the things of God and no to the things of this world. On the screen behind me, we're going to do our new memory verse for the month. Uh, hopefully you got one of these, by the way. If you came in any of the doors, front or the side, you're going to see one of these. It's meant to go either in your car, rear view mirror, somewhere you're going to see it. So if that's not the place, then maybe a mirror, maybe put it on the refrigerator with a magnet, whatever it is. But this is our new one. Uh, this week and next week, we're going to be with the kids next door uh, for the first three months doing the memory verses together. And then this is the new one for quarter two. So we want you to make sure to take part in that and, uh, and be engaged in that. It says this, join me if you will. It says, so let us do all we can to live in peace and let us work hard to build up one another. Romans 14, 19. Isn't that good? Let us seek to live in peace with other people. Now in a world that's filled with so much that's not peaceful, it can at times become arduous or, or very difficult, especially if we're not filling ourselves with what? With the very spirit of God with the word of God. And so it's really important that we do that. Resurrection Sunday is huge, right? It's huge for the church. Uh, maybe for many of you, this is a, a very special Sunday. Maybe not only for a tradition that you've always gone to church, you always have dressed up. I know some people are saying, yeah, this is the Sunday we get pictures. And as you'll notice in the front and outside as well, there's plenty of spots for that. But why do we meet even on Sundays in general in the first place? You know, a lot of people say, well, it's the Sabbath. Sunday's not the Sabbath day. Saturday's the Sabbath day. Sunday's not that. Um, and, and if you were a Jew, you know, you will worship on the Sabbath day. Why as Christians, and again, the early church, the very original, right, the very beginning of it, they were all Jews, right? And so why did they all of a sudden start worshiping on a Sunday? And the answer is, is because Jesus rose from the grave, rose from the dead on the what? On the first day of the week, on Sunday, and therefore they began to worship and have services and come together so they might share the word of God, lift one another up, edify one another. That is what happened when it became on Sundays, and that's what's happened throughout church history, and that's why such a magnificent change has occurred, because for them, you've got to realize they're coming from a, Jew, a Jewish background. To change the days in which they were to worship was a huge deal to them. To be baptized in the name of Jesus was a massive deal for them. And so when we think about the resurrection, we've got to think about what it's done. I mean, the very same, remember Peter, the very same people who said, you know, I'm going to be with you no matter where you go. No matter what happens to you, I'll never leave you. Well, what did Peter do? 
on the night that he was to be betrayed, when he was arrested, it says that Peter first got up in arms and slung a sword, cut off the ear of the high priest's servant, and the Lord said, that's not how we are to do it. If you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. He healed him, and then he comes up to the campfire where he's to be crucified, or not where he's crucified, but where he's being on trial, and what does he do? He denies him, just as Jesus said. His own disciples, they flee for him, just as Jesus said, just as it was prophesied. And so the very ones who were supposed to be there for him, they couldn't even stay awake for very long, much less in the garden. And Jesus said, couldn't you just stay awake for 30 minutes? Couldn't you have just been there for me in my hour of trial? And the answer is he knew that they were unable to do that. But yet we find on Resurrection Sunday, you don't find the disciples taking off to the tomb expecting Jesus. Like they, they weren't running up to the tomb and saying, he's alive, like I know it. None of them did that. Where did they find, where do you find them? They're scared, they're locked behind the door, right? They're not thinking that Jesus is alive and even the, even the women who go to his tomb on that first day, they don't think he's alive either. A lot of times we're like, no, they thought he was alive. No, they didn't. Why do I know that they didn't think he was alive? Because they brought embalming incense. They were coming to put it on the body. Now, I don't know how they thought they were gonna roll away this stone. I don't know how they thought they were gonna do that. But nonetheless, like there was a whole point in there where they're like, he's dead. Our beloved savior, the one who taught us, the one who said he's the way, the truth, and the light, the one who said he's the resurrection, he's dead. But what does it say? When they got to the tomb, it says the tomb was empty. The stone was rolled away. They go into the tomb and, they, and it says that an angel was there. And depending on which of the gospels you're reading, it's either two angels or one angel greets them and says, why do you look for the living or for the dead among the living? He says, why are you looking here? He says, he's not here, but he is risen. Go and tell the other disciples. Later on that same day in Luke 24 on the road to Emmaus, two of Jesus' disciples are walking and Jesus catches up with them and says, why do you look so sad? Why do you look so down? And they said, what have you been living under a rock? You don't know that Jesus, the one who said he was the Christ, the Messiah, you don't know what happened to him, he's dead. They crucified him. And he looks at him. He says, don't you know that it was appointed for the Christ to suffer? Why are you so foolish and slow to know and to believe the scriptures? I mean, I would imagine they were taken off guard by that, right? Why are you so slow to believe the word of God? And he begins, he says, from the very beginning, from the beginning of the Torah, all the way through the scriptures, and begins to show them verse by verse that the Messiah was to be crucified. And it says, they came together to eat a meal when they had made their way to Emmaus. And it says, he broke the bread and he blessed the bread. And it says, as soon as he did that, their eyes were open so that they might see, that they might understand, because they didn't even know it was him. That they might see that it was him. And as soon as they saw that it was him, it said that he vanished from their appearance. And it says they were both saying, were not our hearts burning within us when we heard him speak and talk about the scriptures? Were they not burning? Even Thomas, right? Don't you hate it when you get nicknames you don't like? If you get a nickname that you like, you're, you're okay with that, right? But when you get nicknames you don't really like, Thomas, what do they call him? Doubting Thomas, right? You hang around church long enough, you've, you've heard of that. I mean, that's 2,000 years ago, people. Like, give him a break, right? How many of y'all want to be known for one thing? Some of you are like, well, I didn't make up the name. I just call him for what he's called. Thomas said this. He wasn't there when Jesus first appeared to them. And he said, unless I see 
and put my fingers into his hands, unless I put my hand into his side, unless I can see him, I'm not going to believe this. Seven days later, it says that Jesus appeared to Thomas. And Thomas did the one thing a Jewish person who was religious would never do unless it was God in the presence, unless it was God in the flesh. Jesus appeared to Thomas among the others and said this, no longer doubt, but believe. Put your fingers into my hand and put your hand into my side. And Thomas says these words, my Lord and my God. Speaking to the person of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says that Jesus appeared to more than 500 people at one time. This is not an evidence issue. For the unbelievers out there and for the atheists and for the agnostics and whoever you may be, it's not wrong to have questions. It's not wrong necessarily to have doubts, especially when you're coming along the way. But when it comes down to evidence in history, it's there. It's there. These people who were scared to death changed the world with the message of the gospel and they were not only willing to suffer, they were willing to be crushed and to be crucified and to have their head chopped off. Like They all died a gruesome death except John. And by this point in time when John is writing the revelation here, he's on the island of Patmos as we're about to read and he's exiled there. When he's supposed to be living his retirement, enjoying himself, he's he's had a hard life. He's lived for Jesus. He's witnessed for Jesus. Here we find him on the island of Patmos, which is basically a rocky island for the most part. It was no getaway. He was exiled there. It was not his choice. And he says he was exiled for what? For the witness of Jesus Christ. When he could have been resting, he was there for the Lord. And so when we read these verses... What I want to focus on this morning is really just a focus. I want us to see Jesus. I want to see Jesus with refreshed eyes, with renewed eyes. And what I mean by that is, it's not that you maybe haven't read these verses, but every single day as followers of Jesus Christ, we're to what? We're to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. We're to stare into his glorious presence so that we might be changed from one degree of glory to another. You're like, how do you do it? We'll get there in a second. But we're to be in his presence. And the more that we're in his presence, the more that we become like him. And the more that we become like him, the more that we shine forth light into a dark world. And the more that we change the world and change the culture around us, then we being changed to look just like everyone else. And so we start in Revelation 1 verse 4. It says, John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him who was, who is, and who was, and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before the throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood. And made us a kingdom, priest to his God and father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming on the clouds and every eye will see him. And even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet 
saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. His voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held the seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. And that is the word of the Lord this morning. He is the one who died and who is what? Alive forevermore. We see it again, the language again, who is and who was and who is to come. We see language that's being applied to Jesus. It's the very same language used in the Old Testament of Yahweh. It's the same language used in Isaiah 41 verse 6. It's the same language used all throughout the scriptures about Jesus. And so number one, if you're taking notes, you got worship gods hopefully at the doors when you came in. Number one is this. We desperately need to see our glorious Savior and King. We need to see him. We need to see him. We need to have a revelation like or similar, if you will, to John. And you're like, you mean we need to be exiled? No, not necessarily. What I'm getting at is we need to be in intimate and close proximity to our Lord and Savior that we might become more like him. I use the word in the point there to see on purpose. I'm not specifically saying that we will see him with our physical, literal eyes. I do believe the day is coming that we will. Amen? He said he's coming back again. He said he's not going to leave us as orphans. He says he's going to prepare a place for us. He promises a new heavens and a new earth. Like if he said these things and if he promised the things before and he accomplished them, why not those? Is it too much? And the answer is absolutely not. If God will give us his son, why will he not give us everything else? Why? And the answer is he absolutely will and he does. I said see on purpose because we need spiritual eyes to see him. We need to see him as John saw him. It says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, if you look on the screen with me, and we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. We all, who's all? Is that all the world? All the world sees Jesus? No. Not a chance. Not at all. Those who are his, those who are born again, those who've entered into the kingdom, those who, even though we got these frail bodies that we're living in, we hold the spirit of God himself within us. Those are the all that's being included here. We all, with unveiled faces, behold the glory of the Lord and are being transformed That word right there, transformed, it literally means, in the Greek, it means to be remodeled. I don't know about y'all, but I'm not great at doing things within my own home, Uh, but I try from time to time. But when you remodel, what do you do? You change the way something looks, or you change the way something functions. You repurpose it. 
You give it greater quality and greater meaning and greater significance. And what is he saying? When we are staring into the glory of the Lord, when we're staring at Jesus himself, and you're like, how? How do you do that? You get here. We get in his word. You, you show up when there's a life group, when there's other believers, right? You show up. You surround yourself with other people who love Jesus. You allow yourself to be infused with words that are uplifting and encouraging, which speaks a lot to the music that we listen to, does it not? We can't say that the TV we watch and the media that we take in and the things that we listen to, we cannot say, not with a straight face unless we're fully deceived, that those things do not affect the way that we think and therefore the way that we live. They do. So it means soaking in all of the things which are what? That are pleasing unto God, which help us to see him more clearly. And as we behold him and see his glory, we become what? When you spend more time with someone, what happens? You become more like them. You begin to think more like them. You ever hung out with someone long enough that you begin to talk a little bit more like them or quote unquote can end their sentences or something like that? I mean, if you ever hang out with someone, you pretty much know what they're going to say in some cases. Or you know the little tagline, or you know the little word, the little thing that they say that's unique and familiar to them, but you know it because you've done what? You spent time with them. You know how they're going to act, you know how they're going to react, because you, you know them. That's exactly what we're looking at here, because sometimes we need to change the way that we think. I think a lot of people, we get caught on Christmas, and it feels good, Christmas is great, but a lot of us, we're still worshiping a baby Jesus in swaddling clothes, we're still there. And it's like, it's not that that's not true, but that was a segment in time, a segment in history. Maybe we're looking at his teachings and only that, or maybe we're looking at the cross, beaten and bludgeoned, bruised, forsaken. Maybe that's what we're looking at, but what is John looking at here? Powerful, resurrected, his appearance like that of the brightness of the sun, but even greater. His feet like, Burnished bronze? I mean, what are we thinking here? I mean, this is something beyond. It's going all the way back to Daniel 7 and Daniel 10, but what do we need to see? We need to allow ourselves to not just think of Christ as weak and frail. No, no, no. Resurrected. Alive forevermore. All of these views are not wrong in and of themselves, but they are incomplete when we do not see the fullness of the view that scriptures give us of God. We have a desperate need as a nation to see God. We have a desperate need as a nation for the spirit of God to move amongst his people and for his people to do what John did, to be witnesses. And you're like, that means we need to go on the street corner? No, that means when you go to your job, be a man or a woman of God. Be kind. Be kind. Be forgiving. Be gracious. Be merciful. Be everything that the world tells you not and that will get you behind. Because in God's economy, it gets you only ahead. It only gets you closer. You see, it spoke of a famine in the Old Testament. He said in Amos chapter 8, verse 11, he says, It's not a famine of food. It's not a famine of bread nor of water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. It's a famine. That's the same famine we have. Hearing the voice of God, seeing him 
more clearly. That's the famine that I believe so many of us face. It says that John, on the other hand, what was he doing? He was in the spirit on the Lord's day when some people say, man, I just, I just can't get into it. What do you mean? What do you mean you can't get into it? We're really good at nitpicking stuff. But John, in his old age, is exiled and he's in the spirit on the Lord's day. There goes our excuses. There goes our small complaints. There goes, that's what in the song that I was wanting, that wasn't the way I wanted it to sound. A little warm, a little cold. Seat's not quite as comfortable as I thought. Parking a little too far. There goes all of that nonsense. And goes right to what? Jesus. When we say we can't get close to the Lord because of someone or something, we confuse ourselves. We are the someone and the something who needs to draw near unto the Lord and he will draw what? Near unto us. Don't place that burden on someone else because if you always place the burden on someone else, what are you always able to do? Blame it and shift it for the rest of your life and never able to move forward because you're actually the one who needs to make the change, needs to make the difference. Look on the screen, James chapter four, verse seven. It says this, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. What's it getting at? When you draw near to God, how are you gonna draw near to sin at the same time you're drawing near to God? Tell me that. How many of you have ever, as you are pursuing God, drawing near to God, just like, I have no issue with the sin in my life. It's not even a problem. I have no issue watching that, listening to that. I have no issue engaging in that. I have no issue as I'm drawing near to Jesus, King Jesus, amen. I have no issue with the sin in my life. Not a soul in this room can do that because the very thing that it says to do, draw near to the Lord and then what, repent? It's happening one and the same. It's two sides of the same coin, amen? Because as you draw near, what are you doing? You're turning, you're saying, I don't want that, I want you. So many of us are trying to get over our little hurdles and habits. Not to say they're not important, but what I'm saying is pursue Christ and what you'll begin to find is that you don't want those things nearly as much as you're going in the direction of the Lord as you stare into his what? His glorious presence. Jeremiah 29 verse 13 says this, you will seek me and find me when you do it. How? How are you gonna seek me and find me? When you seek me with all of your heart. You ever wanted something so bad you would do anything to get it? Ever wanted something just so bad you're like, I'll, I'll do anything. I'll, I will do anything to get close to that person. Maybe you're married to them today. I'll do anything to work hard, to get the education I need, to get the training I need, whatever, to get that job or to get that degree, whatever. Like whatever that is important, what have you done? You've done stuff in your life, you're doing stuff right now. You got goals. Some of you are over here saying, I'm saving for retirement. I'm passing up a lot of the things that my peers are going after because I want to be able to live like no one else when I'm in my 50s, 60s, whatever. I'm doing some of those things. You're making what? Sacrifices so that you can get what you truly desire. He says, you will find me when you what? When you elevate me in your desire list. When you seek me with all your heart. Many of us, we have no issue sacrificing things. It's just in many cases, we're not sacrificing for the right thing. Knowing, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these other things, these trinkets, they'll find their place. Seek God. Whether you're 12 
whether you're 72, seek God, pursue God, go after him. So what did he see in this vision? He saw this is an amazing vision of the Lord. Look at verse 13. If you got your Bible open with me, he says in the midst of the lampstands, I saw one like the son of man clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest. That's a, that's a picture of the high priest, right? It's giving you an idea of the high priest from the Old Testament. His hair on his head was white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like flames of fire. That's Daniel 7 and Daniel 10 when the Son of Man is approaching what? The Ancient of Days. It describes one who is of great dignity and great worth. And his eyes, what's fire? What's fire do? It burns away that which is what? Corrupt and leaves only that which is pure. It is penetrating and that's exactly what Jesus does. He penetrates into our hearts, into our lives and he doesn't leave us as we are. He helps us to become as we should be. And that's good news. And you're like, but it hurts. Would you rather temporal pain for eternal gain and glory or things to go so smooth where nothing ever bothers you. Sin never even comes into your mind. Every bit of your life is based on what's convenient at the moment and yet we live this life for how many ever years we're allotted and then spend the rest of eternity separated from God. Is that what you would prefer? And the answer is of course not. Of course not. The reason Jesus came is so that he might give us life. The reason Jesus came is not to condemn, but to set you free. He died for your sins so that you might not live in them any longer. He goes onto his feet. It's like head to toe. I'm describing the appearance that I saw. And I don't know about you, but when you see something that is is beyond description, you just begin to use words like like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire, like burnished bronze. What does that mean? It means I'm just doing the best I can. You ever seen something really, really amazing? <laughs> and he's like, I don't know how to put it into words. Yet, better yet, you ever taken pictures on a cool vacation and then you show somebody the pictures and then they're like, oh, that's pretty cool. And you're like, no, 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 no. Look at what I'm showing you. Don't you see the mountain ranges and, and how the sun was coming through the clouds and, and there was rain in the background? There's a rainbow coming up and out. Or maybe you're on the ocean or something like that and you're just seeing all these things. I mean, it just blows your mind, but the picture does it what? No justice. That's what John's doing. He's like, I'm just trying my best to tell you what I saw. To tell you what I saw, his voice was like the roar of many waters. The first time you hear his voice, his voice is like a trumpet that goes all the way back to Mount Sinai, right? You ever had someone scare you before? We love to play a few pranks here. They're always clean. We seek to make them godly pranks within the church, within the church staff. It's because it's important. Um, But the other day, uh, Trent was hard at work, and I wasn't. Uh, For the moment, for the moment. And so I was walking up, actually, and he was focusing on his computer. And so I stared at him outside of his window because everybody likes a person staring at them really close to their window. And when he didn't look at me within a few seconds, I proceeded to go ahead and yell as loud as I could. And I have a pretty loud voice and it was really, really cool to watch. It was really awesome. And he thanked me for that though. He's like, I appreciate that. And I was just like, I care about you, man. And I was like, that's a great way to know your heart's in good shape. You didn't have a heart attack. So it's, it's good. You know what I'm saying? So I mean, it's just one of those deals like you hear the voice of roaring water. I've never been to Niagara Falls, but I can imagine roaring water. What does John do in response to this? 
he falls as a dead man. He just he falls. Like he, he's not just like trying to fake that. He's, he's literally, I'm, falls. He falls down like a dead man. And what does Jesus do? Get up. You're on the island. Get up. We got work to do. Nope. <laughs> Jesus goes over to him and it says he puts his right hand on his shoulder. He puts his right hand on his shoulder and he says to him, fear not. He says, fear not. For I'm the first and the last and the living one. I want you to think for just a moment. John is the same one who said in his gospel, I'm the one that Jesus loved. You know, that's, that's the thing about what God does. That's the thing about Jesus. Like when you're in close relationship with the Lord, like you, you, you're like, I'm number one. <laughs> like I'm not better than anybody else, but I got, I got this special relationship with the Lord. Like he loves me. I'm his beloved. I love him. He loves me. We're close. Like if you got a good relationship with Jesus, you will think in some form or fashion, like I know he loves me. I love him. He loves me. We're close. That's exactly how John wrote. He's like, I'm the one Jesus loves. This is the same one who all of his friends, they're dead. He's still got other friends, but all the original disciples, dead. He is the last one. All of them have had horrendous deaths, and now he's exiled because he what? He will not stop talking, preaching, proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. He won't stop. So he's exiled in his old age. He sees this vision of Jesus himself. I mean, think about this. From the time of Jesus' ministry to now, this is around 90 AD roughly. This is almost 60 years. 60 years. How many of y'all, no need to raise hands, have lost someone you love and would love just for a moment, a love for just a moment for them to come back and to give you a hug, to give you a word, Maybe it's just to put their hand on you. I mean, can you imagine the flood of emotions that comes over John at this moment? I'm just trying to fill in the blanks. If you're not reading the Bible kind of like this, we need to spend a little bit more time because as soon as his hand was put on him, all I can think about is, man, that's the same one I spent time with around all those campfires at night. That's the same one that I laid my head back on when we took of the Lord's Supper that night. I laid my head back on him. That's the same one who has loved me, embraced me, spoken with me, corrected me. That's the same one who called me and my brother and said, join me and I'm going to make you fishers of men. That's the same one. That's the same one. My brother, speaking for John over here, it's the same one my brother was killed for. It's the same one James, Peter, Nathaniel. That's the same one Luke. That's the same one, Paul. He's the same. He's the same one. And he put his hand on him. He says, fear not. I'm with you. I'm not dead. I'm alive. Because I live, you can also live. And this leads me to my second point here. We also, number two, is we, we need to feel his presence and hear his voice. We we hear his voice, but we need to feel his presence. It's all those John 10 who are my sheep. They're gonna hear my voice and they're gonna know it's me. They're gonna hear me and they're gonna know it's me. And those who aren't, those who are false teachers are gonna run from them 
but they'll run to me. When they hear my voice, they'll run to me. We also need to feel his presence and hear his voice. We need this in our lives. Remember the woman who had the issue of blood for 12 years? Remember her? Like she needed something more than what the doctor said. She spent all the money she had. 12 years. Even in today's time, with all of the medical procedures that we have, all of the different things for hygiene and all the rest, it would still be miserable. For 12 years, she is considered unclean. For 12 years, she is considered unapproachable. For 12 years of her life, she is deemed unworthy in so many different facets and areas. She's run out of money, which is another way of saying she's run out of options and run out of resources. And finally, she hears of this man, Jesus, and she goes through the crowd. She fights through the crowd. When you do what? When you seek me with all your heart, when everything else is behind you and you pursue me, what does she do? She grabs the hem of his garments and immediately she is what? She's healed. She's healed. And Jesus stops in the middle of all these people and says, who touched me? <laughs> Remember his disciples, he's like, Jesus, there, there's people everywhere. Like they're, they're surrounding you. What do you mean? Who touched you? And Jesus said, no, somebody touched me. Power has gone out. And when she realized that she could not get away, she says, it was I, Lord. And he said, behold, you have been what made well not just physically, but whole because of what your faith has made you well. Think about it when Jesus is talking to the disciples that cast your net in Luke 5 on the other side of the boat. They're like, I've been fishing all night, Jesus. There's not, nothing's biting. <laughs> they cast it to the other side. Tell me if the other side was special. No. Tell me if it was special because the Lord said to do it. Yes. They cast it to the other side and he begins to try to pull up that net and what happens? He cannot pull it up. He says to his boys, hey boys, come on. Y'all gotta get over here. We gotta pull this net up and as soon as they're trying to pull it up, Peter himself falls on the boat floor basically on his knees and he says this, Luke 5, 8. And it says, when Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said to him, what? Depart from me for I am a sinful man. Oh Lord, what's happening here? When you recognize who he is, when you see him and you feel his presence, you cannot help but recognize our frailty. You cannot help but recognize that we lack. But on the other side of it, you cannot help but see his love. You cannot help but see his gentleness. You cannot help but hear him say, all those who come unto me, I will in no way cast out I will receive them and I will embrace them when Jesus put his hand on John's shoulder I believe a flood of memories just overwhelmed him I believe that it was confirmation that he needed sometimes we need that don't we confirmation it's going to be okay confirmation is we're going to make it confirmation God you love me the, the cross confirms it again and again and again and again, but yet we need it. We need the confirmation that only Jesus can give. And that's exactly what we look at. And this is what I want us to drive home this morning. This is the last point I have for you. The one thing you must leave here today knowing is this. <laughs> You're loved. 
Like that's the one, that's, that's, are there a bunch of things? Yes. The one thing you must leave knowing is you're loved. You're loved by God. Look at, look in your Bible again. Verse four, Revelation one. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before the throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priest to his God and father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And when you're loved, that makes all the difference in the world. But when you're loved by someone who actually knows you intimately, perfectly, and chose you, and chose to love you, I mean, that, that changes how we get to live. That changes the purpose with which we live with. When you know that you are what? When you are loved by the one who created you. When you're loved by the one who says, I am the almighty. When you're loved by the one who says, I am the one who was and who is and who is to come. When you are loved by God almighty, that changes everything. It's not on the screen, but in Romans chapter five, verse five, eight, and 10, it says this. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God shows his love for us that while we were sinners, still sinners, Christ died for us. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be what? Saved by his his life. You didn't love him first. First John 4, 19 says, he loved you. Our love is in return. To be able to give means what? To be able to give means you have something. To be able to love means that you have first been loved, to have the capacity to give it back. You know what I love? Our, our little baby boy, he's getting bigger, but he's also responding so much more. And what he's responding to is that, man, we're just spending time with him. You, you can't hold him enough. You can't squeeze him enough. And he's a squishy little sucker. You know what I mean? Like, you can't just squeeze him enough and hold him enough. And the other night when he was in my lap, he was doing this number to me. He was like, look at me and go. And he looked down and he do it. He did that for like five minutes. And it's like, that's so simple. But that'll melt you. That'll melt your heart. Sometimes we are trying far too hard in this process when all we need to do is just be in our father's lap resting and receiving his grace which leads to what our peace verse 4 his grace leads to our peace which leads to our healing which is through his blood he loves us and that's why I close on this verse which has always been a phenomenal verse always an important verse John 3:16 through 18 for God so what he loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's that's why he came. 
to save. Is that so hard? Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. What is this doing? This is saying you do not believe the credibility of God himself. That in and of itself already. Already condemned because the gift has been given. Salvation has come. The blood has been spilt. Our sins are on that cross. What more? What more, what more are you looking for? For you who are watching, what more? What are we looking for? What are you missing in this equation? What has to be proven? For most of you, I pray that you've already received him. But the, for those who have not, what more? Beyond your emotions, I say what more when it comes to evidence? Do you lack to call upon the name of Jesus and so repent and believe and receive eternal life? Let's stand together. Father, we come before you, Lord God, confessing our absolute need for you, Lord God, asking as this time has come within our service that, Father, as the prayer team comes forward and as I stand at the front, Lord God, that your people would receive, Father, prayer, Father, that they would come down, that they would kneel just before you and say, Lord, I need a clear sight of who you are. I need clear vision of who you are. I need my spiritual eyes to be open. I want to draw near to you, and I want to draw near to you with all of my heart, for you promise that if I draw near, you'll draw near to me. You promise that if I pursue you, you're there. You're not running from me. Father, I pray that for those who have come in here this morning and that they don't know you, they don't have the relationship that I keep describing, Lord God, I pray that they would turn to you and receive the grace and the mercy that only you offer. Repenting of their sins, recognizing the wrong and saying, Lord God, save me. Save me, a sinner in desperate need of a savior. Father, may these moments be some of the greatest in this entire service that we've had. May these moments be moments of drawing near and receiving all that we need from you. May these moments be filled with your spirit. And Father, may we be like John on the Lord's day. We were in the spirit, filled with your presence, seeking nothing but to glorify your son, for he is the one with dominion forever and ever. Amen. Lord God, we love you today. Father, move in our lives as we sing unto you in Jesus' name. Amen.